your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me on today's episode of the show is my good buddy, John Mattis. John, what's going on, man? Dimitri, happy holidays to you, to the listeners. It's a, it's a festive type of year, part of, part of the year here. Um, looking forward to digging in on some, some mailbag questions. It is. Yeah, we're back. We're back from our uh, extended holiday break. I took like 10 days off or so, which is great because I needed the time to recharge. It was great to spend quality time with the family and do all that. Had a great holiday season at the same time, though. It's, I feel a bit rusty. So hopefully you're going to... You're going to help me out here. And also the listeners are going to help us out because as you said, we solicited some questions. They came through with some great stuff. And so we'll kind of grease the skids here and get into it and ease back into the action with some, uh, some fun kind of thought provoking questions from them. So let's get started with it. Here's a fun one to get us out of the gate. Jeff Arvin asks, if you could redefine the heart trophy to fulfill exactly what you want to see out of it, what would it be? So I guess uh, the way I look at the at this is we got to start with the current definition so that we're all on the same page. So current definition is that the heart goes to the player adjudged to be the most valuable to his team. So MVP of his team, who you know really uh, embodies that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm okay with that definition. I think it's a really difficult award to to make everyone happy about. Uh, you could go with most outstanding. But we do have the title of Lindsay for that, which obviously uh, the players vote on. Um, so that would be silly if we sort of uh, went with the same definition for that, but it was the writers voting. So I, I'm, I'm kind of okay with, with the MVP being the main focus of the award. Um, but some of the issues that come up now is that well, one, it, it seems to devalue a guy like Connor McDavid, where mm-hmm. we see him do spectacular things all the time, year after year. And we sort of, we're not sure what to do with him, especially when he's got Leon Dreisaitl with him. I think if he was just alone, it might make it easier. But so that's, uh, you know, kind of this, this issue in the corner. And then another one is is the whole idea of, uh, does the player have to make the playoffs or not? That always seems to come up. Um, and then the, the, the last thing I have sort of three, you know, bones to pick, if you will, mm-hmm. is the lack of goalies and defensemen represented in, in the hard trophy winners of the last 20 some odd years. Yeah. Uh, the last goalie to win was, was Carey Price in 2015. So it's been a while. And then with, with defensemen, I mean, it goes way back to 2000 with Chris Pronger. So it's one of those things where I see the definition and I don't hate it, but I feel like the results aren't necessarily what I'd like to see. And also within the sort of pecking order or of the universe of NHL awards, it kind of becomes the de facto offensive forward award because you've got the defensive forward award, you've got the Norris for the defenseman, and then you've got the, uh, you know, the Vesna. So it's like, okay, we always default to, you know, let's, let's sort by points. And and that's, we go from there. At least that's sort of like what it always looks like. I don't actually do that when I vote, but that certainly factors in where you're like, okay, McDavid doesn't really qualify for any of these other ones. So we're obviously going to give him some extra love just to use him as an example. What do you think? Well, the reason why I wanted to start it off with this one is you and I, the last time we did a show together, we did a full awards ballot 
uh, through like 25 games or so. And we started off with the heart, right? As listeners probably remember, you hijacked my show. You you started with that <laughs> top, with that category first right off the gate as opposed to saving it for the very end. And so we got into that and we did like 15 minutes, I think, on Jason Roberts and verse Connor McDavid at the time. And I think ultimately there's, I think Jeff's question here is framed correctly in terms of redefining it. Cause I think it kind of, if you actually wanted to, get to something more concrete, you need to do so. I don't think there's any um, motivation to do so because ultimately that gray area or interpretation is kind of a feature and not a bug in this instance, right? It creates more conversation and arguments and back and forths as opposed to if we went truly by quote unquote most valuable, we don't necessarily have a figure like this yet that we all are comfortable with using regularly but like in mlb if you just sort by wins above replacement you have the most valuable player and then you could just basically sort that and there's no real nuance or or context there you're still going to have debates and people are going to be latching onto their favorite players and you know the most interesting stories of like the guy that came out of nowhere all of a sudden to reach that level as opposed to a player who's wanted in back-to-back years like 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 we have with Connor mcdavid but i think ultimately i i always view it through the lens of like eileen best player or like just most most impressive player but i get what you're saying in terms of that's kind of what the ted Lindsay is supposed to account for and this is different but ultimately i struggle with most valuable for a lot of the reasons you outlined the biggest one for me is goalies are the most valuable if we're going most valuable it's just going to be the three players that we list in the vesna would it not be well i guess the the counter point to that is that they don't play all the games right so right. we already have an issue with say Connor mcdavid playing 25 minutes a night you know he's not on the floor like an nba player for 90 percent of the game it's closer to 40 50 percent. so there's already an issue there a little bit um and then you look at goalies it's like shesterkin last year i put him on my ballot i think i had him third because it was just absurd what he did but it was hard to sort of leap all the way to second or first based on I don't have in front of me how many games he played, but I think it was 50 something right. where it's like, okay, well, what happened in the other 30 games? Um, so it's, it's, it's not the goalie's fault, but I think that's a factor there because you're, you're totally right. I mean, let's face it. The sport is rigged to give the most value to the goalie, whether that's negative value or positive value. Mm-hmm. So they, they always certainly should be in consideration. Um, and then on the point of, of the Lindsay, um, I think that, not not that the question is saying there's this huge issue with the heart, but I wonder if big picture, if we think of all the awards and the, the, the sort of uh, value us as a hockey world gives them, I wonder if we're sleeping on the Lindsay a little bit where mm-hmm. it's like, yep. whoever talks about the Ted Lindsay and maybe we should be. And, and I'm saying this as someone who votes as a, a, a writer and who obviously really values the process and, and cares about it. But like the players are voting for the Lindsay and I feel like no one even touches on that in terms of, um, you know, what kind of clout we're giving it or what type of um, esteem we're giving it. So maybe a part of it is that too, where it's like, okay, the heart is what it is, but like the Lindsay, we should hold that up in and around the heart as, as these really high end awards. Well, you know, who loves the Ted Lindsay? Me in back in 2011, <laughs> when Daniel Sedin deservedly won the Ted Lindsay and Corey Perry stole the heart trophy from him. And so I still have not <laughs> let that go over a decade later. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's interesting. Like, I think judging that, that kind of trying to quantify the value 
can mean so many different things. And that's part of the fun of it. It can also be frustrating. I, I'm with you. I, I really don't like when we punish great players for playing with other great players or like their teammates also putting up big point totals. And then that's somehow diminishing their greatness. It's, it's like, Oh no, you have to be in a really terrible situation for you to be valuable. It's like, you know, there's probably a, a reason why teammates of great players are also doing very well. And it's because of that individual's greatness. And that is, is ultimately what is incredibly valuable about them. Yeah. And another thing to consider is just, I guess, uh, you know, what statistics you're using. And then also what we should be doing with the, the end of season all-star teams. Like I know I'm going off on a bit of a, a side road here, but you're a fan of the low post, I assume. And the mm -hmm. podcast. So they love Zach Lowe loves talking about the, the end of season awards and especially first team all-star second team, et cetera. And I feel like the, the discourse around the NHL end of season all-star teams is, is almost non-existent when really that's a, a place where you can actually, um, I guess, add to a guy's legacy more than like, oh, he finished fifth in Norris voting. It's like, okay, he made the second team all-star team. That that kind of gives me more um, or gives it more uh, value long-term, I think anyways. And you've got your, your certain spots to fill and I just feel like we're we're not really focusing on that NFC season all star selection as much as maybe we should. Um, and again, I'm I'm kind of grabbing this from from the low post podcast where they focus on it. And I go, you know what? Like in hockey, we just almost ignore it. What what's that all about? Oh, you're right. I, I for the life of you, for life of me, I couldn't tell you like who was on which all star team as recently as last year, let alone a couple of years ago. Whereas in the NBA, it's it's a big part of a player's resume, especially when they're entering the Hall of Fame, right? It's like, oh, how many times was he deemed to be one of the five or 10 or 15 best players in the league? And in the NHL, you think considering how many more players are important, like that would be a better way to, to, to account for that and also give credit to great seasons players are having as opposed to trying to narrow it down to three guys and it basically being like us just sorting by who has the most points. Uh, so... I'm uh, I'm with you. There's a lot to a lot to chew on there. All right, next question from Alex. What are your thoughts regarding at adding NBA style playing games to the NHL, where seven to ten seeds have to play to qualify for the actual playoffs? So first, I guess we should note what what the the NBA style playing is. So it goes the seven seed plays the eight seed to determine the seventh seed, mm -hmm. you know, going into the playoffs, and then the loser of that seven versus eight will play the winner of nine versus 10 in the standings to determine the eighth seed. So it's a bit of a like convoluted thing, but I think that's a pretty smart way to do it. Um, and I have a few thoughts on this. So, so bear with me, Dimitri. Yeah. So first of all, I would rather do a play in tournament than adding two more games to the regular season. I know that's been thrown out there. Greg Wyshynski had a report, whatever, a couple of weeks ago that they, the NHL is considering an 84 game regular season my thought on that is just no like 82 is plenty um if we're going to add games added to uh the start of the playoffs not the end of the regular season um as for this this play in tournaments i find it's a bit of a a tough one to really get behind fully just because depending on the season the difference between the team that finished seventh in the eastern conference or 10th in the eastern conference can be really wide i mean i was looking at it from last year's perspective 21 22 
And Boston at 107 points, they're in seventh. And then Columbus has 81 points and they're in 10th. I mean, is it fair for Boston to have to go through this play-in round when Columbus didn't really deserve to be considered for the playoffs? Yes. That said, you could make the argument that if Columbus had known that there was going to be a play-in round, they would have maybe bought at the deadline and tried to make 10th or kind of recalibrated their expectations for the year. So, you know, maybe if the playing around were to be introduced, we would see teams act differently during the year and try to get uh, into the top 10 versus the top eight. So it's a bit of a chicken in the egg thing. Like, okay, we won't, we wouldn't really know what it would look like until it was instituted. Um, and then my last thought, Dimitri, before you jump in, I, so part of Gary Batman's pushback to the playing around discussion is that he says there's basically no need to fix what they already have this phenomenal first round, um, this, this, uh, this sort of uh, uh, just the way it's set up. They, right. At the NHL office, which I like, I do love the first round. I think I, I like the idea of having half the league go in the playoffs, half the league, not 16 out of 32, but I would weigh. So, you know, that that's fine, but I would also way rather have the playoff format to be one verse eight, two verse seven, go back to that versus this this bracket they've created out of nowhere they're trying to establish you know regional rivalries which yes. just isn't happening i think that's the main issue with the playoffs it's not necessarily like we need to add in a couple games before the first round um and also i'm a little puzzled by bettman's rationale behind not wanting uh you know playing games because he's saying you know it would devalue or dilute the regular season and dilute obviously the playoffs because you're adding more games. But I mean, everything, his whole job is focused on profit, right? Like you see with Jersey ads, you see it with the digital ads. I'm surprised. And you never know what's actually going on behind the scenes. Like obviously he's got a strategy here, but I'm surprised that he's, he's taking that route where he's saying like, it's, if it's not broken, don't fix it because think of all the gate revenue they would get from these additional playoff games. So those are all my thoughts to me. Take it away. There's a lot to unpack there. I think ultimately where I come down on this is I understand the potential risk of playing games, um, the amount of randomness and shenanigans that could ensue in terms of uh, a team that's undeserving. That's like, especially in a, in a, in a really drastic era where the 10th seed is like comically far away from actually being one of the best eight teams in their own conference having their goalie just get randomly hot for one game or two games and depriving us and then forcing us to watch them play another seven game series when it's like, all right, I don't need to see seven more games of this team. Here's the thing though. The current system already kind of does that. Like I understand it it, not to that degree clearly, but if you're going to get so precious about uh, us needing to maintain a meritocracy and uh, rewarding the best teams, then we would play then we would place much more benefit and a claim to regular season success right like what's more important being awesome for 82 games where you're playing everyone and you have to go through all these injuries and you know back to backs and and a full 82 game schedule or just winning a bunch of like short best of seven sprints it's clearly the 82 game set 82 game season yet no one really cares about that the president's trophy doesn't ultimately matter it's actually kind of a joke at this point where 
It's a, yeah. I, I, I couldn't tell you who won the president's trophy three or four years ago, similar to what we were talking about with the all-star teams. And that should be a much bigger deal. I can, I can rattle off every single Stanley cup champion for the past like 30 years. And so if, if you're going to, if you're going to kind of go through it through the lens of, all right, I really care about having the best teams come out on top. Well, then we should totally change the system entirely to begin with. So it unpacks that it, it, you can't, kind of be talking out both sides of your mouth in the, in, in the sense that what you're saying for Gary Bettman, right? It's like, no, our system's great right now, but also we don't want to do this thing because it's going to create all of these unforeseen circumstances. Like it's, it's either one or the other, in my opinion. Yeah. It really bugs me. The, uh, you know, like if you look at the Atlantic, for example, it seems like every year they've got two, maybe three teams in the top five of, of points in the entire league. And then we're not seeing one of, we're only seeing one of those teams advance. Uh, to the second round it just it doesn't make a ton of sense uh, I'm surprised there's not more pushback from NHL GMs uh, and and board of governors and whatnot where that that was instituted I want to say about 10 years ago maybe a little less and it, it still remains and it doesn't seem like there's been a big push to go back to the one verse eight but that seems like the logical step uh, versus the I, I don't hate the play what do you like ultimately do you like the play the plan idea like in theory, the excitement, um, like, does it have some, some appeal to you? Of course it's an entertainment product, right? So what's more entertaining than you have to watch this one game because it's going to determine whether you're out of the playoffs or getting another lifeline. Also it expands the door for, if you're on that, on that bubble, all of a sudden, I think you're going to see teams talking themselves much more into not necessarily becoming buyers if they're like the 10th or 11th best team in their conference, but not necessarily just like fully tearing it down. Like I think we're, we're constantly in this pursuit, whether we're talking bouncing around gold system ideas or what have you to make some of these games matter down the stretch for as many teams as possible, as opposed to just basically half the league. And I think this at least kind of lumps in some of those teams as well, where all of a sudden it gives them reason to, gives their fans reason to care about these games, to go to the games. And, and I think ultimately from a, a revenue perspective, like you're talking about how making money is what's most important for Gary Bettman. I feel like this is the way to do it, right? Like, like how much more fan interest would you drum up in some of these markets if these games actually matter down the stretch as opposed to like, oh, we might get Connor Bedard. We have a 7% chance of doing so. Like, I, I think it certainly provides more strategy, more potential scenarios. And I, I, I'm, I'm all for it. Like, I think, I think it checks a lot of boxes. Well, I would certainly look into it if I'm the NHL. I mean, you're looking at the other major leagues in the States and Canada, NFL, MLB, NBA, they've all gone in the direction of expanded playoffs in some way or another. So there's gotta be something there. I mean, there's a, probably a way to, to have a different spin on it as the NHL, but it seems logical, especially when you've grown to 32 teams to at least consider. And again, like I, I see both sides to this, but if, if they're not even sitting down and, and, you know, modeling or whatever they need to do to figure things out, uh, I think they're doing themselves a disservice. Well, you know, like the, the NFL, for example, in the past couple of years, I mean, they, they expanded the regular season schedule, which I'm, I'm, I'm fully against the NHL replicating, yes. but they made finishing first in your conference in the both AFC and NFC much more important because that's the only team that gets the buy in round one. So you have to play one fewer game, lower chance of injury, lower chance of shenanigans where a random team gets up early and then holds on and upsets you. And so that's incredibly valuable, right? And that, that makes you succeeding in the regular season more important. And so I'm, if you're taking one thing from this topic for it's, I think the league needs to do a better job of making 
the teams that finish atop their conferences have a bigger advantage than just home ice advantage throughout their portion of the bracket because that's a nice perk, but ultimately I don't think it's as big of a game changer, especially like maybe in terms of making more money for the owners, but um, in terms of the team, increasing the team's likelihood of actually succeeding in these playoff series, like I'd like to see them have a bigger advantage than just that. That's fair. Um, Okay. One more quick one here before we go to break, Peter Siamandis asks, how many pieces away are the Buffalo Sabres? Now I tossed this one in for two reasons. One, because I want to continue my Cal Ripken-esque streak of mentioning the Buffalo Sabres on the PDO cast, which I think has spanned every single episode so far this season. But two, you're also potentially, I know uh, weather permitting, we'll see, it might be put on hold for you to go to Buffalo and, and watch this team live, but I know you're working on something about Jack Quinn as well. And, and so I, I kind of thought we could lump that in uh, here and talk about them a little bit before we go to break. Yeah, sure. Well, so pieces away. I mean, from what, of course, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, I guess, I guess we could start with what they have. I mean, they have a superstar center. I think we've <laughs> we've we've established that both you know mm-hmm. you on on your podcast and the greater hockey world that Tage Thompson is is legit. Um, Two star defensemen. I think there's no denying that Owen Power and Rasmus Dahlin are fantastic linchpins on the back end. And then you've got Matthias Samuelson. You've got Alex Tuck. You've got lots of other youthful pieces, whether it's Jack Quinn, J.J. Paterka, Dylan Cousins. They've got a bunch of other prospects coming through. So, I mean, the the core, the base, the foundation, I think is super strong. Um, what they need, though, I mean, they don't have a long-term starter at this point. Will it be Devin Levy? Will it be Ukapeka Lukanen? I don't know. Um, to be determined on that front, uh, I think in order for them to really solidify the their defense long-term, obviously three tremendous pieces, but if they can get that fourth top four defenseman, you know, people brought up Jacob Chikrin. I don't know if that works in terms of the handedness. That's a third or sorry, a fourth uh, lefty out of four. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how I feel about that, but you know, someone in that sort of mold, a little older, maybe like in his mid twenties or whatever, um, who can, who can slide in and, and fulfill that, that four spot. I think that's high on the to-do list. Um, and the thing is that they I'll, I'll throw a couple other things at you. So they only have one bad contract. It's Jeff Skinner and it's not looking bad this season specifically. So we'll yep. see how that ages, but not a lot holding them back, whether it's free agency trades moving forward. That's a huge plus. Um, they have the youngest opening day roster, which, you know, says a lot of things. It says clearly they weren't trying to push their chips in, into the middle of the table this year by any means. And two, it shows that they're going to have a bunch of stumbles across across the this season and, and seasons moving forward, where it's just it's just the way it works in sports. Uh, yeah. The youngest teams rarely rise to the top. So those are those are the things that come to mind in terms of like uh, the high level. And, and and I don't know. That's not specifically, uh, I guess, answering how many pieces, but I guess it would be at least two major ones that starter and that top four D and then from there obviously the depth needs to be filled out yeah I'm I'm perfectly comfortable I know these are uh famous last words but I uh I'm perfectly comfortable being like incredibly heavy on Buffalo Sabres stock moving forward um I know there's been some stops and starts I think this is an entirely different scenario with the pieces they have I'll give you some stats here that I drummed up sure. while thinking about this conversation uh, this question so with Matias Samuelson in the lineup 
They're 13, five and one with a plus 35 goal differential so far this season. Not that Matias Samuelson alone is responsible for that, but I think it shows what you're saying in terms of when they have their best players, particularly their, their defensemen in the lineup and available, like that high end of their roster moves the needle significantly, right? This isn't like a bunch of random, and all of those players are their youngest, most important players too, right? This isn't like a fun story where it's a, it's a bunch of random castaways on an expansion team that have come together. It's like, oh, this is this is a fun narrative. Like, no, these are like young guys who are only going to get better and they're currently driving the results. So I think that's highly encouraging. Along those lines, with Owen Power or Rasmus Dallin on the ice at 5-on-5 five five this season, they're up 62-42, to 42, uh, wow. which shows like... I think the only thing that's really been holding them back beyond some some questionable goaltending, although like Craig Anderson in particular has done an incredibly admirable job for them given the circumstances, all of their worst five on five players are off the books by the end of next season and like aren't, I don't think, in this team's future plans, whether it's Victor Olofsson, Casey Middlestad, Jacob Bryson, like some of these like depth players, right? And not to knock those guys, I just think like they're going to be replaced by the time this team reaches whatever pinnacle it's hoping to reach, which is going to be in a couple of years from now. And I think that's highly encouraging as well. Like that flexibility, they're not tied up into any of these really big mistakes. And then the other one that I wanted to note here was for all the love that uh, Tage Thompson understandably gets, especially from myself and that top line in general, those three that you mentioned, Quinn, Paterka and Cousins, right? Cousins is the elder statesman of that line. He's turning 22 in February. They've played 155 on five minutes together this season, and they've already generated 11 goals together with a 60% high danger chance and expected goal share. And so I, I think with all of these pieces in place, they're scoring the most goals in the league of anyone. Now they're giving up a lot as well. It's made for a really fun, chaotic, high scoring environment. I think that's totally fine. I think they're going to have to answer Peter's question here more kind of clearly. I think they're going to have one or two real chances, whether it's, rest of this season off season into next year to like take a big home run cut swing in a trade. Right. Cause they have so many young players. You look at the world juniors that are going on right now, how many guys are Buffalo Sabres prospects, all the draft capital they have as well. They're going to basically be able to acquire any player. They, they identify and want to, that's even remotely available just because they're going to be able to come in and Godfather offer anyone. And so I think ultimately how they approach that and who they choose is going to determine this. And whether I don't think Jacob Jacron is enough of a needle mover, although I am very interested in it for a lot of reasons, as I've noted on the podcast before, but they're going to have chances to do so. And I think that is ultimately going to determine like what the trajectory is for them and the timeline is for them over the next couple of years. Yeah, I did this preseason feature on Alex talking. It was sort of about the Sabres as well as this longer deep dive into them and talked to Kevin Adams, talked to Don Granado, and you really get the feel that they're, and, and, and this is, a, you know, for, for the PDO cast, obviously an analytics-driven show. This, this, this sounds hokey. It sounds, you know, just pie in the sky. But, like, they are focused on fixing the culture. I mean, this team has the longest playoff drought in NHL history currently. At 11, 11 seasons. And in the last nine seasons, they've been last place four times. And they've missed the playoffs by an average of 26 points a year. And it goes actually to 29 if you include the uh, – the bubble playoffs when they just technically missed the cut as whatever the 27th team. Um, So it's, it's pretty wild and they have zero cups in, in the history of their franchise. So there's a lot of sort of angst. There's a lot of sort of like tension and 
So they're trying to sort of dispel that. That's part of this process. They're trying to move forward in more of a turn the page uh, mentality. And uh, it, Kevin Adams loves to use the word build versus rebuild. And, you know, makes you roll your eyes. It's, it's very sort of intangible focused. But I think it's actually like, I think it's fair. It's like, okay, a lot of the players on the roster were not around for those previous 11 uh, playoffless seasons. Obviously, some of them were around for a few of them. But if they look at it more from the lens of like Eichel's gone, Reinhardt's gone, we're moving on to this new stage and the slate is clean. I think the idea of building something versus rebuilding it goes a long way. Um, and I just, I just, there's something about the, the group that uh, is lighter, is young, as we mentioned, like the amount of guys 23 and younger is, is outrageous on this team. And I think that it's almost like they have so many prospects and young NHLers that have high end potential that it, it's going to be hard for them to screw this up. Like as, as bad as, or as sort of uh, weird as that sounds for a franchise that has screwed up the rebuild in the past. Yeah. Um, they, they just have, they have a nice runway here um, and there's no pressure. Obviously they'd like to make the playoffs sooner than later, but I think they're going about it the right way in terms of the slow and steady. And I think Don Granado is the right coach at this time. I think Kevin Adams has done some good work. So I'm pretty high on them long-term. Like they feel like almost like a New Jersey Devils mm -hmm. 2.0 in terms of like, maybe they won't pop until two seasons from now, but when they pop, I mean, they're going to be a real force. That's kind of how I'm looking at them. Yeah. The breadcrumbs are there. And I think it, there's a lot of reason to be excited. And, and what you mentioned there, I, I don't think is ho hokey. I don't know if that's going to surprise you or not, but I, I do like having players that want to be there and, and having better vibes and also like just, a sense of professionalism with his organization, right? Like I, I think back to all the mistakes they've made over the years and one I keep coming back to, and it's kind of like a small one in the grand scheme of things, but like at the start of the pandemic, remember they like let go of everyone, which other, other organizations did as well, but they like accidentally like fired their like head of IT or something. And then like quickly panicked and we're like, oh man, like this guy probably has like a lot of like passwords and everything. And then they like hired him back. It's just like, like it's it's just stuff where it's like this a professional organization should not be doing this and making these mistakes and I think it's just like establishing that culture of like good thoughtful decision making and having a plan and executing it is incredibly important. So uh, I think that it's clearly they're on the right track and so I'm all for it. Um, all right, John, we're gonna take a quick break here and then when we come back, we're gonna keep chatting and answering listener questions. You are listening to the Hockey PDO Cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Back here on the Hockey PDO cast with John Mattis. John, let's uh, let's keep going through the listener questions. So uh, Val Nachushkin Enjoyer here, which is a great name, asks, why don't the Panthers feel as dangerous this year? Last year, it seemed like no lead was safe against them and they could score at any moment. They don't really seem to have that this year. I'm really curious for your take on this because uh, I've got I've got a lot of thoughts on it. Sure. Well, I think on a high level, we can't discount the fact that they traded Huberto and Uyghur for Kachuk um, just based on, you know, that's two players out the door that pushed the pace that were always going north. And then Kachuk, who's more of a, you know, grinded out down low kind of guy, very effective. But I think just the, literally two for one, that has an effect. Marchment leaving, again, another personnel thing. Giroux leaving, these are two guys that would move the, move the puck in the right direction, especially Marchment in terms of, uh, the way that he plays off the rush, so that that's that would that's what jumped to mind originally, um, because I think last year 
one of their major strengths was that they were a sort of a strength in numbers kind of team. Each line would push the pace. Each line would, would attack. It was very relentless wave after wave. Um, and I feel like, you know, as a side note, watching the, the Panthers broadcast, they have that camera angle that's like really on the rink. It felt like they were going maybe faster than they were. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something about that angle that just like makes it look so intense. And so, um, uh, you know, like uh, just fast. Yeah. Close um, to the action. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's funny. It's funny that way. Um, and I mean, like we can't, we can't discount the fact that their coach changed. I mean, you went from Quenville and Brunette who had a similar vibe to, to Paul Maurice, who, who has its, his faults. Um, and I think also uh, just one last note before you jump in is I think it's just re- also really difficult to repeat a historically good season as far as what this question is referring to mm-hmm. being so incredibly dangerous night after night coming back when you're down by two three goals constantly especially when their play uh, their power play hasn't been clicking uh, to the same degree like uh, you'd have to go back and review the tape and review the box scores but I imagine some of those comebacks were you know Barkov and Huberto working it on the power play um, to, to, to get them either back even or you know that one goal behind um and then the last point would just be like their goalies have been okay this year but they're certainly not stealing the show and again in this scenario where you've got odd man rush rushes going one way and then back the other way against your goalies which was happening a lot with the panthers like you need you need stoppers you need guys who are uh, gonna fare well in those situations and i wouldn't say that probovsky and knight you know had had numbers that were off the charts last year but this year they're roughly around expected a little below expected as far as save percentage and and allowing goals that that they shouldn't or should so Hmm. that's what jumps off the page for me yeah i think well some of the some of the epic comebacks they they authored last year where they were like down three four five goals and then i remember the one game they played against the devils last year where in new jersey they just had like no business winning that game and all of a sudden just just came back out of nowhere with a flurry and those are cool in the moment but like even in today's goal scoring environment where there are more multi-goal comebacks like i just think relying on that as as like a big part of your resume is always risky and i think that's a component of it you mentioned the paul maurice factor i don't want to get into a full thing because i could do a full show on that but i i <laughs> I, for one, having followed the Winnipeg Jets over the past handful of years, can't say I'm totally surprised by the results. But here's the thing. Natural Statric has them down for a higher rate or pretty much identical to last year where they were first in the league and everything. Shot attempts, shot on goals. Shots on goals, sorry. High danger chances and expected goals generated. They're either the same or better in all of those than last year. Now they're down to 13th in actual goal scored because their shooting percentages dipped from 11 to 8.8%. I, I'm, I'm skeptical on a lot of those generation numbers, not, not like the shots, like they're clearly generating a high volume of things. I think the way their personnel has changed, which you mentioned, I think the way they've played it as a result as well has changed. And if you look at, you look a little closer, um, like Stephen Valquette sent me data from uh, ClearSet Analytics they went from first in expected goals generated off the rush to 14th. They went from first in breakaways generated to 25th this year, right? Like, like they're clearly changed the way. Now, now you send me some stuff from from Sport Logic as well that you have access to. 
And I believe only the Bruins generate more off the cycle in terms of chances than they do this season, which like they were good at that last year as well. But to me, I think that's that was part of the logic beyond just the contract status and the age of the trade they made this offseason was they wanted to diversify their offensive approach and change the way they play. And Matthew Kachuk is one of the best players in the league at playing from below the goal line and creating as a playmaker from there. And so I think all of that makes sense. I can't say like it, it's it's a bit disappointing because they were so fun last year. So it's a bit disappointing in that regard. I think they're better than their results have shown so far this year. I think it's also okay because this was always going to be a bit of a bridge year for them in the grand scheme of things, at least functionally, right? Like if you look, Patrick Hornquist, 5.3 million expires this at that after this season. They gained 5.3 million in cap savings with uh, buyouts expiring for both, um, I believe, Scott Darling and Keith Yandel, right? Uh, I think it's going to be tough to do still. I imagine the moment they gave uh, Spencer Knight the extension they did, they basically were like, we have to trade Sergei Bobrovsky no matter the price this offseason, right? Like, I I know there's a lot of um, hoops to jump through to facilitate that, but you're not going to be paying $14.5 million to the goaltending position. Like, that's just not going to happen, right? And so after they pay Bobrovsky's signing bonus this, this offseason, I believe he's only owed like $17 million in real cash over his final three seasons, which is... Not nothing, but much more manageable. It's going to cost them a lot to get out from that, but I think there's going to be motivation to do so. And so the point I'm trying to make here is like, I, I, I'm still actually encouraged because of what Matthew Kachuk has looked like in a Panthers uniform and and what he's he's shown so far. I still think in the grand scheme of things, it was the right business decision and and right hockey move. Now, unfortunately, they were always going to take a bit of a step back this year. Like you look at, how close to the cap they are, right? There's been nights where if they have injuries, they just like can't dress a full lineup. They have no wiggle room whatsoever. They basically need everyone to be healthy at all times. And as soon as someone drops off, all of a sudden the depth chart is completely in shambles. And so I think that's going to remedy itself a bit over time moving into the future. And so I, I'm, I'm still encouraged by them, but it's clearly disappointing that they're just not nearly as fun as they were last season. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head with the, the transition year. And wouldn't it be amazing to be in a fly on the wall with bill zito this summer and you know whether he's talking to ownership or just with his uh internal team in the front office trying to map out like so the playoffs yeah didn't didn't go as planned we had this amazing regular season but we feel like we're missing a different element and obviously kachuk accomplishes that and then there's the goalie situation as you highlighted 14.5 that's just especially i think bill zito is a pretty good gm i think he's pretty smart that's certainly not a long-term plan. Like, like, especially with, 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 as you mentioned, the the signing bonus kicking in, I think that's pretty telegraph what they're going to do there. So I wonder if Zito went to management or sorry, went to ownership and was like, give me a year here where, you know, hopefully we'll make the playoffs. Hopefully we went around whatever, but I need a year to sort of transition into this Kachuk era and we'll really take off in 23, 24. Um, and I, I, I give him credit in terms of having the the foresight or uh, the balls, for, for lack mm-hmm. of a better term, to take a presence trophy winning team that didn't do very well in the playoffs and go, what can we fix on the fly here? Because there's a lot of teams that will double down, and that's fine. Like, if you really believe in your process, double down. But um, there's also different ways to look at it, where he, he clearly decided, 
this is just not going to work in terms of uh, our ultimate goal of winning cups. So that, that I find that really intriguing is sort of the Bill Zito angle of this, where he's working on this timeline that maybe aligns more with 23, 24. Well, I, I think you're right. It's also a bit of an easier sell when the specific events occur the way they did in the sense of they finally win their first postseason series in ages. And then the immediately just get absolutely embarrassed by your in-state rival and show that you have no real options for, uh, you know, adjusting to what they did to you. And so I think it's a much easier sell of like, all right, well, we've seen sort of the limit of what we can do here. I think we should pivot here, especially with the contract status of, of Huberto and, and Uyghur pending as well, not to mention a player of Matthew Kachuk's caliber becoming available and, you know, including you as one of his three or four handpicked destinations that he wants to go to. I think like everything kind of was like a perfect sure. storm to allow that to happen, but you're right. Like, it would have been, I think, much easier to basically just bury your head in the sand and be like, all right, let's plow ahead and try to do it again next year with the same group. And I don't, I still think even if they had done that, they probably would not have sat, had the same season they had last year because unfortunately hockey just doesn't work that way. Well, and clearly the the coaching change has something to do with all this as far as the, the ultimate plan. They could have easily gone with Andrew Burnett. Like the guy had phenomenal success after Joel Quenville left. And he was never considered, the, you know, the second coming or, or, you know, sort of second in line there uh, immediately. He's a relatively new NHL head co- or NHL coach in general. So for them to pivot away from him, and I understand why you would do that, um, especially after how the playoffs uh, panned out, as you said, with the, the lack of tactical changes. Yeah. But it's still it's still notable that they, they went out and found this guy who's been in the league, Paul Maurice, for, I don't know, since the early 90s. Like, he's been the most employed coach basically for the past three, three decades or so. And uh, you know, you know, you can, you can criticize that move all you want and you know, you and I probably would, but it's, it's also clearly part of the master plan where Zito's got his eye on a different playing style, a different brand of Panthers hockey. If you will. Yeah. I, I can, I can scrub the word probably from that. I think I definitely, <laughs> definitely will. Fair. All right. Um, <laughs> let's end with this. Alex Dotson asks, what do you make of the Bruins commitment to a timeshare when both goalies are healthy? Allmark, uh, Allmark shined when given the full workload, but they're back to a 50-50 split roughly with Swayman healthy. Obviously, both are solid. Wondering why Allmark isn't the clear number one. Um, I think it's I think it's interesting to to approach this question both from the Bruins' perspective in terms of like their current playing environment and how they're using the guys, and also from a league perspective, right? Because I think right now you look and and I believe a last check like. UC Soros is pacing to be the league leader in games played for goalies. And it's like 64 games or something like then you got like Shesterkin and Hellebuck at like 61, 62, like obviously long gone are the days of 70 plus. You're not going to see that. I think Allmark right now is on pace for 56 or uh, sorry. Yeah. Like 53 games so far this year. I think that's pretty much ideally where, I'd want my starting goalie to be at. So I, I really don't think it's it's much of an issue, but clearly when you're 19, one and one, right? Like as, as a Bruins fan, you're probably like wondering why you're not just playing this guy every single night. I I, I do think it's it's pretty logical though. Yeah, I, I, I had the same thought process when I saw that question. And part of the, actually the first thing that came to my head was like, you know, your team's doing well when. Yeah, you know, they're, <laughs> this you know, is your biggest 20, issue. You know? 27, four and three when both goalies, like, it's not like Swayman's played poorly and he had an injury. Like his numbers are going to be worse just based on the lack of 
playing time and then you know recovering from that injury mm-hmm. so the fact that swayman who's actually the up-and-comer like sort of i i realized they signed allmark as a free agent but like swayman's got a really high pedigree real high ceiling there potentially so i think it makes sense to to keep playing it as not necessarily 50 50 but 60 40 mm-hmm. um because let's face it i mean you want allmark to be in tip-top shape for the playoffs. And then you also want Swayman to be ready in case things go down the tube with Allmark. I mean, I think best-case scenario in the modern NHL is you have two goalies that are ready, that are trustworthy to play in the playoffs. Because we've seen, you know, whether it was the Avalanche a few years ago getting down to Hutchison um, and, and that really tanking their cup chances or other teams over the years. I mean, it's weird things happen. Yeah. It could be... Like, uh, who was it? Saros uh, got injured, was it last year? Yeah, of course, yeah. Right before the playoffs. David Dredek and uh, and Connor Ingram played, yeah. Yeah, Nashville was screwed. So I think keeping them both warm, getting them reps, I think it makes a ton of sense. It's not like Swayman is this, you know, journeyman or this, you know, backup that has never shown any great potential. Like, he's got the potential. Um, I think you ride Allmark a little bit more, but I think it makes sense. And within the context of, of how goalie workloads have uh, splintered if you will over the last uh, five to ten years I think it makes a ton of sense sports science wise etc so I mean it's really like the Bruins it's it's really something I think it's almost like gone underrated how amazing their season has been losing four games in their first or four regulation games I should say in their first 30 some odd games Mm -hmm. Um, like that's wild here's the thing so Allmark's been playing pro hockey for like about a decade now, or maybe even more. The 41 games he played last year was the only time he's ever played 40 plus in the NHL. He played 56 games in the AHL and NHL combined in, in 2016-17. That's the only time he's ever passed 50. So I said he's on pace for 53 starts this year. I think that's fine. And even if he hits that, that'll, you know, that's going to represent a new high in workload for him. And so I think that's one thing. I think another thing is it doesn't really matter. Like Swayman's good. He's a net positive and goal save above expected. He's around league average and save percentage. It's a defensive environment. Like you or I could step in and, and be league average, I think, honestly. Like I, I yeah, that's not to diminish what they're doing, but they're giving up the fourth fewest high danger chances, fifth fewest shots, second fewest expected goals against. Like it's it's clinical. And so it's it's Allmark's been really good, but like, come on. It's it's a pretty it's a pretty sweet spot to be in, and so I think it totally makes sense for them to be rotating them, have a bigger picture in mind of of being fresh for the playoffs, and if anything, they should be playing Allmark less, in my opinion. Sure, yeah, I actually recently did just a bit of a short Fesna breakdown, um, and like I wanted to give Allmark all the praise in the world, but that defensive environment is incredible, especially compared to say what's going on on the island or mm-hmm. Winnipeg. I realized that you know neither of those are the worst in the league. But by comparison, I was like, look what Halibut's doing. Look what Sorokin's doing. Um, and it's no, like, it's hard because you don't want to discredit what Allmark's done. And even though wins are our team stat, like, the guy has still won 19 games. Yeah, he's 19-1-1. It's, uh, one one. it's pretty ridiculous. The, the thing with, with goalie wins uh, is, on one hand, team stat, on other hand, goalies are part of the team. So it's like, you, gotta, you can't give it no value, <laughs> but you can't just be – around like oh he had the most wins let's give him the Vesna that's that's ridiculous but like would the would the the Bruins be at where they're at without at least league average goalie goaltending no I don't think so so like the goalies yeah. have carried the carried their fair share and the environment's really nice so 
the Bruins have something pretty special going on. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. All right, John, this was a blast. We, uh, we got to some fun stuff. Hopefully, uh, Hopefully you had a blast as well. Hopefully the listeners enjoyed it. I like I I love all these questions they keep sending in. So we're gonna keep doing these mailbags. I'll let you quickly plug some stuff before we get out of here. Let people know where they can check out your work and uh, and what you're what you're cooking up because I know you you you've also been a bit quiet here during the holidays, uh, deservedly. So what what do you got on the agenda? Yeah. So well, first of all, it was great to see your listeners come through with all those questions. I know I've never done a mailbag episode with you, and they just came. It came in hot and heavy and it's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Wednesday morning in, in between Christmas and New Year's. So well done. Uh, a lot of Devils fans in there too. Maybe next time we'll get to the Devils. Yes. Um, so props to them. And then also thanks for having me on. And as for what I'm up to, I mean, as we mentioned earlier, doing something on Jack Quinn, kind of deep diving him, his background, his personality and, and what he does on the ice most, most crucially, um, uh, working on some other projects and, uh, doing something i'm at boldy soon one of your favorites yes nice. um and yeah it'll be it'll be a busy month uh in terms of publishing uh from my end so uh follow me on twitter it's m-a-t-i-s-z-j-o-h-n mattis john my last name my first name um and that's probably where you can where you can find my work so uh again appreciate it dimitri and uh, nice to catch up here oh i love that oh when you when you put the uh, boldy piece i will have you back on and we'll and we'll deep dive <laughs> it because i'll always look for any excuse to to chat about that guy uh this is a blast man uh if the listeners enjoyed it it can help us out by smashing that five star button wherever they listen to the show and we will be back tomorrow with more of the hockey pdo cast here on the sports radio network